0: September thirteenth is going to be a big day for us. Remember what that is? The grand opening, our grand opening worship service, right at our new facility where our church and school will be. School will be up and running, but we'll have a grand opening service on September thirteenth. Uh, I haven't, we haven't planned anything. There, the service isn't planned. The events that are going to happen haven't been planned. But I can already tell you, it's probably going to be big. We'll probably do something really grand, something big. Big gesture, right? Why? Because when you reveal something, you want it to be grand. You want it to be big. You want to put your best foot forward. And so, I don't know, I'm, maybe we'll have some food catered in. Uh, m- maybe we'll give away t-shirts. Maybe we'll have bounce houses for the kids and some of you adults. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know some of you like those bounce houses. <laughs> uh, but it's going to be big and grand, right? And that's what we do. When when we want to reveal something for the first time, we want it to be big. We want it to be spectacular. We want to put our best foot forward. And you know this in your business. If you're releasing a new product, you want to advertise big for the very first time. If you're... uh, Whatever it is, if it's a, a new child that you have and you want to make the announcement, you want the announcement to be big, right? You don't want to just text somebody and then someone else gets a text and no, you want somebody you want everybody to know this new baby is here. This is what we do. We make brand new things big when we reveal something. And that's what makes Jesus' first miracle so strange. Because it wasn't big. Jesus is the one who can raise people from the dead. Jesus raised Himself from the dead. Jesus can heal uh, lepers. Jesus could feed 5,000 people from two fish and five loaves of bread. This is what Jesus can do. And what's He choose for His first miracle? To change water into wine. He chooses to do a first miracle. And how many people know about it? Only a handful. For revealing yourself as the Messiah... This isn't exactly a a startling, oh my goodness miracle, a big grand gesture. This is kind of small. And yet, through the miracle that we're going to look at today, uh, we see that Jesus reveals two things about Him. And we're going to see it as we look at John chapter 2. John is one of those books of the Bible that we call the Gospels. They're the biographies of Jesus. And in John chapter 2, it's right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And here's what we're told. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Alright, let's stop right there. On the third day, what happened three days before? Jesus called his first disciples. Not all twelve, just five. He called them and said, come follow me. Three days later, he, his disciples, and his mother were all invited to a wedding at Cana. i got a map for you. You can see Nazareth up there. Uh, that's where Jesus was raised. Ten miles north is Cana. And that's where he, his disciples, and his mother go for this wedding. I think in America we do pretty big Weddings, uh, I I think we go above and beyond what's probably necessary, but it's fun, it's exciting, it's filled with joy. Uh, Everyone goes all out, right? I don't think what we do today really holds anything to what weddings were back then. Let me explain it to you. So, uh, a man and a wife decide they're going to get married. They become betrothed. They sign the the contract. They are legally married. The only way they cannot be married anymore is if they go through the divorce process. (laughs) They're betrothed, but they still live separately. She lives with her parents, he lives at, at his house, and they're preparing the wedding feast, the reception. This is what Mary and Joseph were when the angels came and told Mary, you're pregnant. They're legally married. After all the wedding details had been figured out, the wedding begins. And how it begins is the groom with his groomsmen, travel over to bride's house where bride is there with her bridesmaids and then the whole wedding processional marches from parent's house to the groom's house where then the festivities begin. Then the joy happens. Then the wedding banquet begins where there's food, where there's wine and the party goes on not just for a few hours, not just for a day, but for an entire week. A town as small as Cana, the whole town probably shut down to go to this wedding and celebrate for an entire week. And guess what the main part of the wedding was? The most important part. The wine. The wine. And it was on the groom to provide enough food and enough wine to last the entire week. And so Mary is going around in the midst of this celebration and all of a sudden she realizes the wine was gone. In the Greek, the original language, it says they lacked wine. They lacked wine." And she goes to Jesus and says, "'Oh no, this isn't good.'" This is a true story. Uh, at Anne and my wedding, we ran out of beer. <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah, Dave's back there saying, "'Yeah, I know it.'" <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometime in the middle of the, uh, of the reception, somebody came up and said, "'Hey, uh, they ran out of beer.'" You know what my response was? Sorry, we had six kegs. Maybe don't drink as much. Uh, this should have easily lasted us all night. To this groom, who someone came up and said the wine was gone, he would not have responded that way. Instead, panic would have taken over. He would have been filled with fear. Because what did this mean? If he runs out of wine, he's a disgrace to his family. Remember, they lived in a shame and honor culture where if you didn't uh, uh, perform to what the expectations were, you were shamed. And, and having enough wine, this was a key part. And if you ran out, you were a shame to the family. You were a disgrace. You could even be disowned. And Mary knows this. And so what does she do? She goes to Jesus. And what does she say? They have no more wine. What do you think she's looking for? A miracle, right? Do something about this, Jesus. Do something about it. Why? Because Mary remembers what the angel said 30 years ago. Mary remembers that just a a month before this, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. She remembered that just over a month ago, Jesus stepped out and, and began His public ministry as the Messiah. She knows who Jesus is. So Jesus, they lack wine, do something about this. Remove the social shame from them. They're lacking. Fill them up. Where in your life are you lacking? Where in your life uh, are are you lacking something and it's a social embarrassment, you're you're embarrassed by it, You're, you're ashamed of it? Is it your clothes? Everyone else has designer clothes and you shop at Target? Is it your looks? Your skin isn't as young as it used to be? Is it your your children's behavior or your grandchildren's behavior? Is it the car you drive? Where do you see in life you feel that you're lacking? and, And only if God would perform a miracle, if only Jesus filled you up with what you're missing, then you wouldn't feel the embarrassment then you wouldn't feel the shame. And, and you pray, Jesus, just, just give this to me and everything will be alright. That's where Mary's at. We can relate to where Mary's coming from, right? We don't, she doesn't want this couple to feel the shame and embarrassment that's going to come and the disgrace that's going to come because they ran out of wine. Jesus, just take it away. Fill them up with it. But did you see how Jesus responded? Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, we know that Jesus was perfect, so He's not being disrespectful, but He is being very pointed, isn't He? Mary, I, I, I'm not the, the 10-year-old boy anymore. Remember who I am, Mary. I'm God. And you're approaching God with a prayer. Remember that. But then he also says, My hour has not yet come. And this is a phrase we need to talk about. The Bible mentions this phrase multiple times in the Gospels. Jesus does, uh, the authors of the Gospels do. And do you know what they always are referencing when it, they're talking about Jesus' hour coming? His death and resurrection. So think about that. Think of this line of of, of conversation right now, okay? Mary approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, they have no more wine. Essentially, Jesus, can you do a miracle? And Jesus says, why do you involve me? It's not time for me to die and rise again. What? Mary, or Jesus, Mary's asking you for a miracle. She's not asking you to die. How How do we jump to here? This seems a bit extreme. Here's what I think is going on. Mary comes to Jesus asking, fill them with wine to take away their social shame. And Jesus, at the very outset of His ministry, says, Mary, understand the Messiah that I am. I'm not here to cover social shame. I'm not here to to make sure that somebody's not embarrassed because of other people. Instead, I've come to remove the shame that people have standing before their God. And my hour has not yet come to take that away. I want to take their shame away. I do. I want to take their disgrace away. I do. But that hour's not here yet." And Jesus is saying to Mary, I'm just beginning my ministry. I am the Messiah. And I'm here to take away shame. But let's remember the shame I'm here to take away, and it's the shame of sin. And so what this account is telling us, it's your first point today, is that Jesus reveals his desire to remove shame. Essentially Jesus says, yes, you are lacking. Yes, this couple is lacking, but it's not wine. Yes, you are lacking, but it's not in a job that you have, or lack thereof. It's not in the car you drive. It's not in your skin. It's not in your clothes. It's not in your children's behavior. That's not what you're lacking. What you're lacking is holiness. And you're filled to the brim with sin. And when you stand before God, it is shameful. It is disgraceful. And you and I deserve to be removed completely from God's family, disowned completely from God. And that sounds harsh. And it is harsh to hear. But deep down we know that we're lacking, don't we? Why do you think we try to prove ourselves and prove ourselves, and prove ourselves. Why do we have to be the smartest person in the room and have everyone else know that we're smart? Why do we have to be the funniest? Why do we always have to be right? Why do we have to have other people know that we have a good marriage and that we have a a good perfect family? Why do we have to try and try and try? It's because we're trying to cover the fact that we're lacking. And what we're really lacking is holiness. And we try to cover that up by being the best, by being the smartest, by being right. When I was a kid growing up uh, in grade school, I, I got a few warts on my ring fingers. And it was pretty embarrassing. And the first couple times that uh, that happened, my mom put a Band-Aid on it, on them, and I went to school. And I remember going to school thinking, I cannot wash my hands all day, because if I wash my hands, these Band-Aids are going to get wet, they're going to fall off, and then my friends are going to see the warts, and it's going to be embarrassing. Unless if I brought more Band-Aids with me, I was not washing my hands throughout the day. But finally, my mom took me to the doctor, and uh, the doctor actually like froze or burned burned them off. Uh, and completely removed them. And they never came back. You see, oftentimes what, what we want Jesus to do is to cover our shame. Just cover it. Cover the social shame, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I want to remove it completely. And in order to do that, I have to remove your sin. I have to remove the shame that is your sin. The disgrace of sin. And Jesus would do that when His hour finally came. And do you you remember what Jesus did when His hour finally came? He drank wine again. On the cross, Jesus shouted out, I'm thirsty. And do you remember what they gave Him? Wine mixed with Vinegar. vinegar. It's the concoction that they used to clean the latrines. And they held it up to Jesus' lips. It was worse than a $3 bottle of barefoot wine. And they held it up to Jesus' lips for Him to drink. And He drank that bitter wine. Why? So that through the shedding of His blood, you and I can drink the vintage wine that is in heaven. Because you know that's how the Bible uh, shows heaven being, right? It compares to a banquet. Here's what Isaiah 25 says. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove His people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Look what's going to be in heaven. Rich food, banquet of aged wine, finest of wines will be in heaven. And there we will enjoy it. Why? Because Jesus drank that bitter wine on the cross. He shed His blood. And in doing so, what did He do? He swallowed up death forever. The joy of heaven, the festive joy that's in heaven, will never end because death is gone. And God will wipe away every tear from your eye. Why? Because He has removed your disgrace. He has removed the disgrace of your sin through Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus says, I'm here to remove shame. It's just the shame of sin, not some catering error. I'm not here to cover that. I'm here to remove sin. Unbelievable. And that's what He's done for you through Jesus' death on the cross. But Jesus also reveals something else about Himself in this story. Here's how it ends. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then He told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Jesus, even though he's not here to cover social shame, he had a heart of compassion for this couple. And he didn't want him to face the shame. And so, what's he do? He has his servants fill up six ceremonial jars of wash, uh, washing jars, 20 to 30 gallons each, approximately 180 gallons worth of water. And Jesus says to the servants, Now dip some and take it to the master of the banquet, who's in charge of making sure all the food comes out properly and all the wine. Imagine being that servant. <laughs> Jesus, I know this is water. You think I'm going to fool this master of the banquet? But in doing so, in the middle of it, Jesus performs a great miracle and changes it from water to wine. Again, not cheap wine, but the best, the master of the banquet says. You have saved the best till now. Incredible miracle. But you want to know something even more incredible? Who gets the credit? The groom. The one who should have done this in the first place. The one who should have been filled with shame and disgrace. The one who should have been disowned from his family. Jesus not only removes the shame and disgrace, but then gives him the seat of honor. Gives him the honor for having the best wine possible. And where's Jesus in all this? Jesus says, I'll take a step back. I want you to have the honor, groom. And that's the second thing that gets revealed to us today about Jesus. Jesus reveals His desire to give honor. This is what Jesus has done for you. Not only has Jesus completely drained your sin from you, but He has filled you with His perfection. And He's filled you to the brim. His righteousness is yours. And so when God looks at you, what does He see? He sees somebody who is perfect. He sees Jesus in you. He sees somebody completely righteous to the brim. And he says, come to my banquet. And I'll tell you what, don't just be a guest. Be the guest of honor. Sit here. And Jesus gets up from his seat and pulls it out for you. The honor that is given Jesus, Jesus says, I want you to have it. I want you to have it and I'm going to fill you with my righteousness. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Jesus removes shame and gives you the honor in God's sight, so that God holds you up and says, you saved the best till now. Why? Why in the world would Jesus do this? Only because He loves you. Only because He looks at you the way a groom looks at his bride as she's walking down the aisle. That's how He looks at you every single day. What do you think your life would look like and what kind of impact would it have on your life if you lived every single moment of your life realizing that? That this is how God looks at me. Do you think it would help you watch the words that you say? Absolutely. Do you think it would give you more patience? Absolutely. Do you think it, it would help you give other people the honor? And raise them up and you take the back seat? Absolutely, because look at where my God has put me. Look at how he views me. By all means, let me give honor and glory to somebody else, because my God views me as perfect and righteous. He's given me the seat of honor. Unbelievable. So, what do we do now? God has revealed this about himself to us that, that he removes shame and he gives us honor. What do we do now? Well, if the banquet of heaven is what we have to look forward to, if that's what we have coming our way, let's sip on that joy right now. As we start a new year 2020, let's sip on the joy of heaven because God's revealed it to us in Jesus and through this miracle. We get to sip on the joy of heaven as we are in His Word, as we hear about Jesus and, and as we read about the glory that is to come. So let's sip on it. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good as we gather around the Lord's Supper. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good as we baptize our children and and we teach them God's Word and raise them up in the Word. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good and sip on that coming joy now as we live in a world filled with sorrows. All because your God, your Jesus, has completely removed your shame and has given you the honor. God be with you this week and in this new year as you sip on that coming joy and you taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank you that you have let us see into your heart and your heart is to, reveal, or to remove our shame and to give us the honor. It is incredible to think that you deserve the honor, the glory, you deserve everyone to know who you are, uh, and yet... You choose to give us the glory and the honor and the sight of our Father in heaven. Uh, Unbelievable. Thank you for removing our shame. And thank you for giving us the seat of honor that is in heaven. We ask you to be with us uh, this year as we begin this new year. Uh, Help us to taste and see that you are good through your word. Be with us and, and continue to hold us fast to you. In your name we pray. Amen.